Hey everyone, thank you so much for tuning back in to the Tell It To Me Straight podcast. We are so excited for today's guest. If you guys heard last week's episode, you guys know we had Caitlin on and this week we're going to have one of my favorite people on Instagram on. She is, in my opinion, the best dietitian when it comes to PCOS and I'm so excited to be able to ask all the questions that I know you're dying to hear. So with that said, let's dive on into the episode. Hey everyone, welcome back. As always, your girl Melissa and my hubby. Ryan, I'm back. I guess you could probably I the last one. You did, and you know, I was gonna say you can probably go first. I'm sorry. I'm such a hogger. No, you can go first. You do first. First is good. You do it. Well, you know, if you guys have ever watched Bluey, what do they say to Muffin? She hogs. She's hogging. hogging. <laughs> the facey time. <laughs> Guys, today is going to be such a great episode. And you know what? We're not even going to beat around the bush. We're just going to get into it. I have a special guest for you today. Her name is Alyssa. And if you don't know her, you need to. I will have her tell you her um, username handle on Instagram. Um, Alyssa, do you want to kind of jump in and tell people who you are, what you're all about? Hi, of course. Thanks so much for having me. Um, so my name is Alyssa Pacheco, and I am a registered dietitian, and I work exclusively with women who have a hormonal condition called PCOS or polycystic ovary syndrome, um, and yeah, work with them to balance their hormones through nutrition and lifestyle modifications to really kick those awful symptoms to the curb. So what like got you into PCOS? You have PCOS your, yourself, correct? I do, yes. So I have been a di dietitian for over a decade. Oh gosh, that's like really aging me. So um, <laughs> probably about 11 or 12 years I've been a dietitian for, but I was only diagnosed with PCOS um, maybe four years ago. So my PCOS diagnosis came after a year-long stint dealing with infertility. Um, my story is really similar to a lot of women with PCOS. I came off of birth control um, when my husband and I were ready to start a family, kind of expecting it to happen really relatively quickly. Um, however, my periods were just kind of MIA. So I went through boatloads of testing and ultrasounds. And after a year, I was finally diagnosed with PCOS. Um, I had heard of it before, but I really didn't know too much about the nitty gritty of what it really entailed. And very similar to so many people, I was told that it really isn't a huge deal. It's really just a fertility issue and you're just not ovulating. So we'll get you ovulating. Here's some medication. Um, and then you'll probably just have a healthy pregnancy and it's nothing you'll really have to worry about. So I took fertility meds. I did get pregnant. I um, had a healthy pregnancy and I learned a whole lot about PCOS and really became part of the PCOS community and learned how underserved we really are in terms of just education and treatment options. Um, so I decided to kind of 
take a new direction in terms of my career and specialize in PCOS and help other women have a little bit more hope and a little bit more understanding about their condition than I ever had when I was first diagnosed. Um, so yeah, that's kind of how I ended up in this space, so to speak. I think you really tell the story of all of us. It's we go into the doctor's office because something's off and then they, you know, pull our blood, they do the panel and they're like, yeah, it looks like you have PCOS. Here's some metformin and on your way you go. And I think that's such a harsh reality for so many women who get diagnosed with this because it's such a confusing and such a complex diagnosis, but it's more like, here's the Band-Aid on top of the bleeding wound that's gashed open. Good luck, right? Right. And I think that's just so difficult. When I got diagnosed with PCOS, it was because my weight was all over the place um, and I had really terrible periods and it was like, I would spike 10 pounds, I'd lose 10 pounds. And I was like, what's going on with me? And my doctor, when he, when I went in, he was just like, you know, your family's always kind of been fat, you, you know, it wouldn't be surprising. And then he diagnosed me with PCOS. He's like, okay, well now you just need to lose weight. And here's metformin and you know, on your way. And I was like, oh, what? Okay. I'm telling you, I'm, I'm struggling to lose weight. I'm confused. What do you mean? Just lose weight. What do you mean? Just take metformin. I was so confused because he made it seem like metformin was the reason all the little fat cells would just be gone. Just take this. You'll lose some weight and you'll feel better. And I was like, uh, okay, like no referral, no education behind it. And I just wish, wish more would. And I, that's what I really love about kind of what Instagram and like other platforms have become. It's that more educational piece of things, right? Is that what like kind of brought you into the world of like Instagram and posting? Yes, absolutely. So that was kind of where I started to learn more about it and realize how much more, how much I didn't really know about PCOS when I was first diagnosed. And so that was kind of the catalyst to helping me determine my new career path, so to speak, um, where I had a similar experience as well. So they gave me fertility meds and they also gave me metformin. Um, at the time of my diagnosis, weight really wasn't a struggle for me. But being a dietitian, I was very, very familiar with metformin and what it was typically prescribed for being diabetes or prediabetes. So I was very confused by that medication. And my doctor said, I don't think that you're insulin resistant. And she said that based strictly by looking at my body. Um, and she said, but it could help with regulating your period. And now knowing what I know is that yes, metformin does help with reducing insulin resistance. And that was probably why my periods were really irregular. Um, so it's just, it's a really unfortunate situation to be put in and kind of, you know, given some information by doctors, but really not given the full picture because, I do think that there's even some misinformation in the medical community about PCOS and doctors will tell their patients wildly different things about it. Um, and a lot of doctors don't have the complete picture of what it is either, unfortunately. I think in a complete world, we would be like, here's your diagnosis, here's your dietitian." or yes. like a referral to a dietitian. Here's like a CPT referral. Here's someone that can help you better understand these worlds. Now, good luck. And this medication might help, but you know, if you can get your nutrition help, like it, it should be like an extra thing, right? Not the only thing that we have to do. I feel like that's what it felt like was take this, 
good luck and it was yeah and it's so much more complex so with that said i don't know if ryan had a question but i have a question when you were talking about insulin can you kind of talk about that a little bit because i think that's a really big word we do here all over is insulin resistance can you kind of talk about that within pcos yeah absolutely so insulin resistance is present in the majority of women who have pcos and i think that you know the research shows that i think it's around 70 percent of those with PCOS are insulin resistant, but it's something that you want to address regardless of whether your lab results have shown that you're insulin resistant or insulin resistant or not. So essentially what's happening is insulin's a hormone and when we eat any type of a meal, especially a meal that has carbohydrates, those carbs are going to be broken down into their simplest form, which is glucose. And that's just a fancy name for sugar. So as those carbohydrates get broken down, your blood sugar levels are going to rise. That's a very normal reaction. And then your pancreas is going to give off that hormone insulin to help move that sugar from your bloodstream into the cells so that it can actually be used for energy and all of the different functions that your body needs energy for. Um, so with PCOS and this insulin resistance that we see, your body is essentially resistant to that insulin. So it takes a higher amount of insulin to get that job done to move that sugar into the cells. So you're left with more insulin in your body and that can cause weight gain, that can cause carb cravings, that can also cause your ovaries to pump out higher amounts of testosterone, which is an androgen or a male sex hormone. And those higher levels of testosterone are often what can lead to a PCOS diagnosis. But that high testosterone is also what's really causing the crappy outward symptoms like the acne that we experience or the unwanted hair growth, especially on the face or the body, like in the male type of pattern. So we talk a lot about the face, the hair growth on the face, but women can also experience that unwanted hair growth um, in that male pattern. So especially in the groin area, um, under the belly button, on nipples as well. Um, hair loss, so a male pattern baldness can start to happen as a result of those high testosterone levels as well. And again, the irregular periods are happening as a result of that. So when we think about, you know, having a high testosterone level, when we're tracing it back, it often can come back to that insulin resistance. So really trying to make your body less insulin resistant and able to use insulin more appropriately and effectively, we can help to lower the testosterone level as a result and decrease those symptoms as well. What are some ways you would recommend our listeners to do that or any like person who has PCOS and maybe having those symptoms? Yeah. So I always recommend eating consistently throughout the day. So when I say that, I don't mean that you need to be kind of grazing throughout the entire day, but I mean eating regular meals. So I recommend breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And then for some people, they might even feel their best eating snacks as well. So we want to be eating, you know, consistent meals, maybe snacks throughout the day to really help keep your blood sugar levels more regulated. But when we Think about those blood sugar levels. We want those blood sugar levels to rise slowly 
and really not go super high. So the way that we can achieve that is by the consistent eating pattern, but also when we're having those meals, choosing carbs that have a higher amount of fiber in them. So that would look like things like whole grains, beans, fruits, vegetables, um, and then also adding in protein and fat, because those are two macronutrients that are gonna help to really slow down the blood sugar level um, from rising too high and too quickly. So when it goes up much more slowly, it gives your body a little bit more of a fighting chance to give off an appropriate amount of insulin and to allow your body to become more sensitive to that insulin that your body's producing. And over time, the insulin resistance will go down. What would you say to women? Um, Cause that's all like, I'm just listening to you and I'm absorbing it all in for myself because I've experienced where when I, I feel like I spike my blood sugar too high, this like extreme like crash effect, like that lethargic, huge effect that comes with that. So with that being said, what would you say um, to women who maybe are struggling to balance out those meals? Would you say like to just get practicing on like one carb, one protein, one fat, like kind of like the my plate type thing? Or what would you suggest to them? Yeah. So I would suggest focusing on one meal. So I find that a lot of times people try to jump in and do all of the things and it just becomes really overwhelming. So I like to kind of just start at the beginning of the day, starting with really focusing on breakfast and finding a combination that works well for you for breakfast. So that can look like a protein source, a fat source, and a carb source. Um, yes, kind of like my plate, I tend to recommend doing a source of protein, a source of a higher fiber carb, like fruit or a whole grain, um, oatmeal. Those are some of those common breakfast carbs that we'll see. And then also some fat as well. So whether that's avocado, whether that is olive oil or butter that you're cooking your, um, your eggs in, whether it's nuts or seeds or peanut butter, um, and then also making sure that you're adding some color into the mix as well. So adding some sort of a fruit or a vegetable into the mix just to give you a lot more opportunity to get antioxidants into the mix to help lower inflammation. Um, and then you always want to make sure that you have the satisfaction piece. So you can kind of go through and check all the boxes for a meal and say, okay, I have a protein, I have um, a fat, I have a carb, I've got everything covered. But if you're not actually enjoying that meal, is it really going to be something that you're going to want to gravitate back towards? Is it something you're going to want to continue to eat? So I like to think of it as you know, people often think of grilled chicken, brown rice, and broccoli as a well-balanced, healthy. Ever. <laughs> yes, it's so gross, though. And, you know, maybe you can eat that for a short period of time, but after a while, you're going to be like, this is so boring. It's not enjoyable. And I am looking for good food. So right. really making sure that you have some aspect of every single meal you're eating that you really love and enjoy, whether it's a different flavor or a different texture, that's what's going to make it sustainable for you. Right. I have a, a quick question. So like, let's say, so you're saying, you know, we want to try and stay consistent throughout the day with uh, your blood sugar, right? And maybe let it rise slowly. 
but like let's say somebody has goes out to lunch with their co-workers right and they go to olive garden and have a big old bowl of pasta you know what i mean high high carb would you recommend like maybe for dinner you just have something that's just high protein and you kind of try to limit the carbs a little bit or, or how do you balance that do you think Nope. So I just kind of recommend that you just think of every meal as its own eating instance. So there's always going to be time where we end up at Olive Garden and we don't really want to eat a balanced meal. We want to have the plate of pasta and that's okay because one meal is not make or break in terms of your overall health goals. Mm -hmm. But then I would just take dinner as a completely new opportunity and try to focus on choosing a higher fiber carb with some protein and fat and make that a balanced meal and just kind of be like, all right, yeah. So I had that big plate of pasta. I'm just going to make an intentional food choice at this dinnertime meal that really aligns with my health goals. So focusing on each individual meal as its own separate yeah. um, opportunity, yeah. right? Exactly. Correct. I love that. And I love how you've really broken down all these things. One thing I wanted to ask you was if I was your client and I came to you and I said, hey, I had Olive Garden and I chose the fettuccine Alfredo. And I noticed that it really just made me feel tired and just exhausted. What would you recommend for me to do in a future instance? Yeah. So I think that it always depends on the person, how frequently you're going out to eat, because that's definitely going to come into play. If you're somebody who just does that like very sporadically, you know, maybe, maybe you just kind of order whatever you, you want. Right. But if you're somebody who's kind of looking, all right, I really want the fettuccine Alfredo, but I don't love how it makes me feel after. So what can I do to kind of balance this out? You know, when you think about fettuccine Alfredo, it's going to be a carb source. It's going to have some fat in there too, because of the, um, the Alfredo sauce, but maybe can you add a protein into it? Can you get some chicken added into that meal? Can you opt for a salad on the side or some sort of like broccoli and mix that into it? So sometimes you can take the meal that you really want and then add to it. And sometimes you'll even find that you'll get two meals out of it because you're kind of taking this plate of fettuccine alfredo and rather than eating that whole plate to fill you up you're adding other nutrients that help to fill you up so you can actually divide that meal and get two servings out of it so that could be your lunch the next day as well i love that melissa kind of you kind of do that with yes. like sushi because you realize like sushi if i eat a whole roll of sushi it really messes me up and it makes me feel bad but if i have Four, four pieces. pieces yep four pieces exactly i feel good mm -hmm. i get my sushi still but like i don't feel like crap I and i like usually it. will have like a protein shake before or after or i'll have like i'll pair it with something i try to get like something like more dense so like usually if it's oh what is it called deep fried i'm like oh probably not that's probably not gonna be my best choice but i love sushi and instead of telling myself i can't have sushi because i have pcos i'm like how can i find a way yeah. yeah to have it so i love that i love that we're like in the same regards there right uh, okay i do have a couple of other questions that we've been asked and these are more like formal questions um do women with pcos still have to follow a caloric deficit to lose weight um, I've, you and I talked about this in one of your posts and I would love for you to just kind of expand on it because this is, so, I see this everywhere. Like, no, it's women don't need to follow the caloric deficit. No, women must follow the caloric. It's kind of like all over. And I would just love your thoughts on if women with PCOS need to follow a caloric deficit, um, 
calories in, calories out, and kind of like your take on it, because I love your take on it. Yeah, absolutely. So I think it's kind of, it's an interesting area. Um, so when it comes down to it, you're not going to lose weight if there isn't some sort of a calorie deficit. But with that said, you know, a lot of, you know, especially in the doctor's office, if you're told to lose weight, sometimes a doctor might tell you like, eat less, move more kind of a thing, which basically indicates go into a calorie deficit. And the problem with cal calories is that when you're strictly focused on just calories by themselves, you could find, you know, all right, maybe you need X amount of calories and you can find, hey, you know what, I can eat 12 Twinkies per day and still stay within that calorie deficit. So in theory, according to everyone else, yeah, maybe you would lose weight, but really you're going to probably feel like crap if you're only eating Twinkies all day. And when it comes down to it, Twinkies are essentially just carbs and sugar. So we're lacking a lot of the nutrients that really help with balancing blood sugar levels and lowering inflammation. Two of the key things that we really want to focus on with PCOS. So if we're ignoring fiber, if we're ignoring protein, if we're ignoring healthy fats and antioxidants and probiotics and all of these nutrients that really work cohesively to manage PCOS, you're not going to see the weight loss that you're looking for, even if you're in a calorie deficit, because you're going to have high amounts of inflammation. You're going to have high amounts of insulin and erratic blood sugars, which that can lead to weight gain. It can cause weight loss to kind of stall. So it really does need to be a strategic approach in terms of balancing your meals so that they're going to balance your blood sugars and lower inflammation as well. And yes, ultimately at the end of the day or at the end of the week or whatever, there does need to be some sort of slight calorie deficit to actually see weight loss. I think though you're making a really good point on it's not just about eating whatever, but learning how to eat for your your body, how to manage these symptoms of PCOS. Because yes, weight loss can be important, but when weight loss is the only target, it's like, well, I'm just gonna have this slice of pizza and I'm just gonna grab this handful of this. And sure, you might lose weight, but like at the end of the day, is that something sustainable, right? Because if we're thinking weight loss, we're also thinking hopefully sustainability of that weight loss and enjoyability, like you had said. So do you think when we learn, and I mean, I, I guess I can answer this myself, but I wanna know your opinion, when we learn how to better manage our nutrition we're also better managing regulating our appetite because that's something i've learned for myself that if i'm not having protein or enough fiber or enough like carbs that like are high in satiety i find myself grazing all day or like starving at the end of the night and then all of a sudden i was like oh i've been in a deficit but i binged this night but i ate like this on friday night you know what i mean Right, absolutely. And that's something that I see happen really frequently. So a lot of times like women will be skipping, they get into the habit of skipping breakfast and then eventually it 
becomes a habit where they start to maybe skip lunch most days as well. And so if they are tracking calories, yeah, they are in a calorie deficit through the whole day, but then it becomes later in the evening and they are ravenous, they're starving. So they end up eating an enormous meal or maybe it's binging later on in the night on the chips, the ice cream, all of those things. So you end up consuming a very high amount of calories later in the day and it kind of but then you, you feel like crap after it. Yeah. And you feel like crap, not just physically, but you mentally usually feel like crap yeah. as well. So it's the, the do it's a, it's a guilt trip. Um, right. so by eating more consistently and kind of spreading out those calories throughout the day, so to speak, you're going to number one, feel better physically because your blood sugars aren't on this wild roller coaster ride but you're also going to feel better mentally as well you're going to feel more at peace with your food decisions and like you're kind of really finding that balance and like this is something i can really do for the rest of my life i love that too yeah um the next question we had was is there like are there any foods you you hear people all the time on the internet say like if you have pcos like just don't like stay away from this food or stay away from this exercise are there any foods that are off limits yeah is, no pe like, yeah people are so they are <laughs> very my, my favorite is always the gluten the gluten or dairy don't have gluten or dairy if you have pcos and i'm like oh i would die i would die <laughs> without either of those things i i totally agree um i would as well i actually had to try i didn't have to, but I did try gluten-free for probably about two months a couple of years ago for like another health um, condition. And it's really difficult. And there's really no research to support that everyone with PCOS should or needs to avoid any particular food or any particular food group. I think it's more important to think about the big picture and so when it comes to, you know, things like people will say avoid carbs or avoid sugar, like stay away from high sugar foods. And so that would kind of say like, all right, stay away from desserts. Like, is it realistic to think you're never going to have a piece of birthday cake at somebody's birthday? You know, so I think it's more important to think about the overall big picture of what your diet looks like. But going back to the original question, no, there's no one food that any research supports that all women with PCOS should avoid. So if you have an allergy or an intolerance, intolerance, those are obviously great reasons to stay away from a particular food. Um, but most women can incorporate all foods from all food groups in a balanced way. I like that a lot because I think it's it's so case by case because just with anybody with anything because for example like i have hashimoto's and so Same. yeah hey cool oh Same you're button. double whammy yeah. <laughs> we'll that's why i tried that in three um and i've found out that just like if i have um aspartame it might not even be correlated to hashimoto's at all just for me it makes me irritable and it makes me like it i've just you have like really back. bad brain fog I too brain fog. i get irritable i get just grumpy and so it's like do i want the drink with aspartame more than i want the feeling that i have afterwards right and sometimes the answer is like 
yeah, cool. I still, you know, it's late at night. The kids are asleep. Like I'm going to sleep in an hour anyway. So it probably is going to be fine. But then it's like, you've just got to think about how does that food make you feel? Be honest about it. And how often are you willing to like put yourself through that? I guess. I think like she said too, though, is it's about the pairing. Like what foods can we pair with this? Maybe make it less or um, yeah, reducing. And sometimes I think it goes to show that how important it is for us to listen to our bodies, to listen to not what everyone's shouting at us on Instagram or TikTok, but like, how do I feel when I have this and how can I have a better experience having this, right? Um, so with that said, I I had another question that I think I see a lot about um, cortisol. I'm sure you do too. I feel like that's such a clickbait word that people are like, do this exercise, eat this food. It's a buzzword that everyone uses. So within cortisol, women with PCOS typically have high amounts, right? Um, not everybody, but some women can for sure. Absolutely. So when it comes to like PCOS and cortisol, like, is there any advice or anything you kind of like know about it that can help women with PCOS and high cortisol levels? Um, so cortisol is something that you will generally see high amounts of cortisol in the morning. That's normal. And -hmm. then they gradually taper off as the day goes on. And as we get into the evening time, your melatonin levels will start to rise. So you get sleepy, you can sleep through the night. And then in the morning, your cortisol levels are higher. So you have more energy, um, things that can raise your cortisol levels, because cortisol is technically our stress hormone. So it is going to go higher in times of stress. So when I, what I typically recommend in terms of nutrition is to make sure you're eating enough. If you are not eating enough, if you are in a really drastic calorie deficit and undernourishing your body, that can negatively impact your health. It can raise your cortisol because your body sees that as a stressor. Um, Another thing is that we can see higher cortisol levels in women who don't eat breakfast. So I am a big believer in eating breakfast as well. So getting that nutrition in early in the day can definitely help to regulate cortisol levels as well. He looked at me because I've been doing better on having breakfast, but you're right. You're right. I could be better. It's not even saving calories. I'm just like, okay, in the morning, I typically feel fine. So I would rather have like a, a like in the nighttime, I usually find myself wanting a little bit of a heavier dinner. Mm-hmm. So when I'm tracking calories, but this is like, this is a perfect illustration of how when we're doing this, it's about finding that balance that works for each individual and not about starving, right? Like, I don't feel like I'm starving, but now that I'm listening to Alyssa talk, I'm like, okay, where could I do better about having, it doesn't have to be a big breakfast meal. Is there anything you would recommend? Just like you said, the well-balanced meal. So if I had like, let's say an egg muffin or an egg bite from Starbucks, okay. You know, those little egg bites and then like a cup of fruit and maybe, I don't know, maybe some oatmeal here or there. Like, would you feel like that's like part of what you would say or balance out. Cause I see all of, if you guys don't follow Alyssa, you need to, she does such a great presentation in her stories of like how she's eating. And she'll say like, this is her fiber. This is her protein. This is the carb and explain all of these um, nutrients. Is that what you would suggest to someone who isn't a breakfast eater? Cause I feel like I don't eat breakfast a lot, but now that you're saying that I shouldn't skip breakfast, I'm like, gosh, dang it, Melissa. 
I think, I think, you know, we get out of the ha habit. I did it too, especially in high school. And then through college, I was out of the habit of eating breakfast because especially high school, I was having to get up early, get myself on the bus. My mom wasn't making my breakfast anymore. Right. And so it was like sleep was more important to me than getting up and eating breakfast. So I got out of the routine. So we need to retrain our bodies to yes. accept breakfast. But once you start making that more of your routine, your body will feel hungrier in the morning. Most people will tell you that that's true. Um, but yeah, yeah I think that a lot of people who are out of the habit or don't have breakfast in the morning are um, going to feel their best starting small. So something like the, the couple of egg bites from Starbucks with some fruit that could be a great breakfast to kind of just get your body used to Into getting it. a little something in in the morning and then you'll start to you know really feel that hunger as time goes on and your body gets used to okay melissa's gonna feed me around this time so it gets ready for it it gets used to it but again it goes back to what you were saying every body is different so kind of with the Hashimoto's, that's why I tried the gluten-free diet because there is like a very, very small amount of research that shows that gluten-free diets can be beneficial for Hashimoto's and decrease those thyroid antibodies. So I really went all in and I have a great endocrinologist who was willing to do labs with me. And I saw no difference in terms of symptoms, in terms of labs, um, thyroid antibodies, or anything along those lines. So yes, while research does show that it can be helpful for some, I wasn't one of those people. And even in the research studies, you know, it didn't work for everybody within those research studies. So we have research that can guide us, but it ultimately is always going to come down to you and how you feel. I love that. I do too. I think that's a great great way to almost end this because I have one more question, but it's a great way to understand like how important our own bodies are. Um, the last question I wanted to ask you uh, is anyone who is like struggling with managing their symptoms, is there any supplements you would recommend for them to take? Yeah. So supplements are another big hot, hot ticket topic when it comes to PCOS. Um, and I think that, you know, there's not any straightforward answer. Supplements are always going to depend on what your symptoms are because PCOS can present so differently in so many women. Um, so it depends on what your symptoms are. It depends on what your goals are. You know, are you looking to get pregnant in the near future? That would dictate maybe a supplement route. Um, what does your diet look like? Do you eat fish? regularly? You know, are you somebody who doesn't eat dairy? You know, these are different nutrients that you want to take into account. Have you had labs done? Do you have any nutrient deficiencies? So lots of different things that come into play. Do you sleep poorly at night? You know, all of those come together to really dictate what supplements I would ever recommend for somebody. But some of the common ones that I tend to gravitate to just because they have really good research behind them with low cons or low risk, um, generally inositols, um, vitamin D supplements, vitamin B12, especially, you know, if somebody's on metformin, B12 deficiency is very common with that. Um, magnesium, fish oil, those are some of my go-tos that I tend to recommend. But again, it always comes down to the individual and what their experience is, what medications they're on, what their diet looks like, 
all of those things. Would you recommend someone who's taking metformin and feeling like crap to like continue? I had this actually ask a client asked me, she's like, metformin makes me feel like crap. I hate taking it. It just, it's tricky because we're not their doctors, right? And we never want to like go against, I mean, I don't, uh, their medical opinions, but in my opinion, I had the same experience. Metformin made me feel really sick, really nauseous. I didn't really like the way it made me feel at all. So I stopped taking it. What would you say? Would you have them like double check with their doctor or like, what would you recommend to them? Someone who's just like, I'm done. I can't like, it makes me feel like crap. Yeah. I think when it comes to prescription medications, it's always important to go back to your provider, medical provider and just kind of have that discussion, see if there's any other options that they recommend. Um, It's always going to be a case by case scenario. We do have a lot of research in terms of different supplements that have shown that they perform just as similarly as metformin and PCOS and lowering insulin resistance. So that being inositol, um, berberine is another one. So there are supplement options that often aren't recommended by like the Western medical community. And I think it's for the most part because they're just unaware. I've had, you know, my own endocrinologist be so interested in my own inositol experience because she had just heard of it, um, you know, a couple of months prior to meeting with me. And this was going back a couple of years ago. So even a couple of years ago, she had never heard of inositol. And we had so much great research on it at that point. So, you know, considering asking your doctor about these different supplements and if they think that they might be worthwhile to consider. I think that's great. I think one thing that's interesting, though, is a lot of the supplements that you said are really just basic, like supplements, like D, B12, magnesium, fish oil. Those are just basic, inexpensive, like supplements that almost anybody would almost recommend those supplements for people to take for just overall health. So there's no like real magic pill supplements that are going to put you this way over the top you know, over right. your PCOS, it's just trying to manage the basics. Right. right. And at the end of the day, a supplement is just that it's a supplement to what you're eating. And it's mm-hmm. a supplement to your lifestyle, the movement you're right. doing, the sleep you're trying to get, um, right. the stress you're trying to manage. So all of those things are kind of the pillars and then supplements can kind of just help to take, take it to the next level, but they're never meant to replace any nutrients and all that. Yeah. Right. I love that. Well, Alyssa, I literally, we could do a whole hour with you. We, I loved all the conversations we've had today. And I think you have given such, such great insight. Will you give your, or I guess I could, your username on Instagram so everyone can find you? Sure. Of course. So it is PCOS underscore nutritionist on Instagram. Um, yeah. I highly program. Yeah. If you guys, if you guys are interested in working with me and Alyssa, so she has, I think it's called your um, PCOS play playbook. Yep. Uh-huh. And with my guide, I have a 12 week PCOS um, fitness guide that I created just to kind of help women figure out their own fitness levels, right. To figure out what works for them, what doesn't, what makes them feel the best. And I paired that together with Alyssa's PCOS playbook guide. You get 10% off her guide when you sign up for my program. And if you just want to go over and get her guide, it's incredible. Um, I would highly encourage you to look into that, right. So then you get the fitness and the nutrition aspect of it, which I'm so happy we have done together because I've had about 
10 clients sign up and they have been just raving to me about how excited they are to be able to just get both things together. Yeah, it's such a good combination because we can't do it all ourselves. And right. nutrition will only take you so far. We need all of those other pillars as well. And movement. Same with fitness. Yeah, thing. exactly. Yeah. Amen. So with that said, you guys, thank you so much for everyone listening in. If you guys would, you know, if you found this episode, I don't know, educational, great, amazing, like I did, share it with a friend who has PCOS or maybe a mom, a sister, someone who needs to hear this and they can feel better educated and supported. And now they know the right channels to go to. And I think that's really big that we share those things. So with that said, thank you so much for listening and until next time.